Hey, what's happening? Welcome to this exciting episode of the John Papaloni Show. Today, I have for you, Nicolene El Haddad. How are you doing? I'm great, John. How are you? Fantastic. This is exciting. Um, someone's cutting the grass, but anyways, um, what an exciting episode. I am looking so forward to hearing your story today. Awesome. So why don't we start off with by uh, giving everybody a little bit of information of what do you do now, how you got there, and maybe some of your whys. Awesome. So today I am a small business owners coach. So what I actually do is I help small business owners franchise their business across the country. I teach them how to do it with simplicity and ease. Um, it is completely my passion to help business owners just multiply what they've already built. And the reason I do that is because I today own seven different businesses. I started my very first business from my garage. But about five years ago, I wanted to change and pivot and do something new. So I opened a little coffee shop. And today we have over 30 stores across the country. And I did that through franchising. And I absolutely love using that model. I think it's absolutely beautiful to share my business with other people who have always dreamt of having a coffee shop. And I know that there are a lot of business owners out there that would also like to expand. They'd also like to have 10 or 15 stores, but they don't want to maybe manage it all. They don't know how to do the things. And I'm the person that can show them how to do it. Well, that's awesome. Now, that's the other thing. I mean, you got into my favorite kind of business, coffee. Yes. I mean, like, <laughs> coffee is my beer. I mean, like, give me a choice between, you know, an, a, an espresso or a latte, even a regular coffee or a beer. I want the coffee. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it's like I used to spend my days going from coffee shop to coffee shop to coffee shop. It's like, okay, nine o'clock or eight o'clock, whatever it was. A group of us used to meet, had our coffee. I'd grab my laptop. Go to another coffee shop, do some work there, go for lunch, and then came the final coffee shop before going home time. And it's like awesome. somebody asked me, Did you ever work from the office? Yeah, only on a bad day. I mean, things are, you know, hit the fan and I can't go for my coffee shop. And it's a bad day because I'm very angry that I can't go to my coffee shop. Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I mean, we're a creature of habits, let's be honest. And yes, we are. I absolutely that that's one of my favorite things. Now I changed my habits a little bit now, but, uh, you know, as we get older, we get more responsibilities and, but I mean, yeah. So I found it fascinating that you were in the coffee business. So how exactly did you get into the coffee business? I mean, let's be honest. We all grow up with the same old story. Let's go to school, get a good education, get a good job and blah, 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 blah. Corporate America, we're going to save our money and, uh, you know, we're going to buy our white picket fenced home and uh, raise our family there. Then we're going to retire with a pension. And we all know in 2022, very few people have that option. Yes, It's still preached, but the outcome isn't the same. Yeah. And I, I grew up. And I'm assuming you did as well in an era where entrepreneurship was not cool, where, you know, I mean, you were the outcast and the weirdo, where today it's cool to be an entrepreneur. It doesn't yes. mean you should be, but it means, it's, but it is labeled as cool. Yeah. So my question is, again, goes, how, why coffee? What, what made it, what led you there? So Mahabi and I, we love coffee, just like you, John. So we generally found ourselves visiting coffee shops very often. And we were actually sitting in one when we noticed one day that there were a lot of people passing coffee shops that didn't seem to be the regular audience for a coffee store. 
And we wanted to change that. We wanted to create a coffee vibe in, in our country where people can regularly throughout the day come and enjoy coffee, but that they can actually afford it. We don't want to be in this concept where everything has to be overpriced. So because this was not our first rodeo, it was not our first business that we started, we knew that um, we needed to test the market really well to see if the concept was going to work or not. So we did our research for almost two years. I've spent more time in coffee shops in the first two years than ever before. I learned through my eyes. I would listen to you know how people run their businesses from sitting inside a coffee shop. I used to speak to customers. I looked at suppliers. I looked at everything that I liked and didn't like about the coffee shops that I went to. And I created this idea in my mind of what would my coffee shop look like and what would I need to sell and how would I need to attract my audience so that we stand out completely different from everybody else. So in about two years, we created this concept and everybody that we did draw to us, which were the suppliers in the beginning, thought we were completely crazy because we're a very low ticket priced coffee shop. We are based on quantity of sales every single day. And our audiences are people who now literally can afford two to three cups of coffee a day, which before wouldn't be possible for them. So that's where we started. But when we also opened, we opened three stores in the first two months. And that was absolutely crazy, John. It's not something I would recommend people do when you go into retail, but we wanted to see if this concept idea that we have is going to work. So we opened it up in a neighborhood area. We opened it one in a shopping center, and then we opened one in the heart of the city. And all three, we, I mean, I was working 20 hour days. It was absolutely crazy, but I was living on a high because I thought, oh my goodness, I have a coffee shop. Like even for myself, this is like a dream that I've had for a while. And, um, and then we noticed that it works. It works because people love the difference of it. And I think even at regular coffee shop today, as long as you're just standing out in your own unique way, you're able to attract a different group of audience and you need to keep your audience growing all the time. Otherwise your business will become a bit stale and people will move on to something else. For sure. That's what I always say. You're either growing or dying out there. And, yeah. and, and again, um, so you opened up 15 locations. So in a sense, you became that franchise. But yeah, so had... after, after our first year, we had five and I was still running it all with just one assistant, which was, like I said, crazy. It's not recommended. But I did also prove a point to myself that you are able to scale. You're able to take one thing and multiply it. Because what I realized, John, in the beginning was that you're working so hard anyway. You're already showing up. You're already training people. You're already doing the marketing. So whether you're doing it for three stores or seven stores, there really is not a massive difference. The only thing that changes is your support, which is the team that you need to build to help you run this more professionally, you know, more accurately, to save more money and all of those things. But you can do these things by yourself. And once entrepreneurs kind of realize that, the light goes on for them because then they realize that the beautiful salon they have or the yoga studio they have or the paid grooming business that they have, they can now have five of them or 10 of them across the country, but they don't have to own all of it themselves. And that ability to share your business with someone else who's always dreamt of having a business like you, to give them that opportunity to do it with you, I think that is an amazing blessing. Yeah, for sure. Now, let me ask you something here. When you were starting and you had your first store, then you expanded to three, I'm sure you had the big box stores to compete with. And, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, like the old big known brands, whatever. I mean, and obviously you're becoming one of them now, which is fantastic because I think that's everybody's dream when they start something. Everybody wants that. Um, but not everybody gets there. Not everybody has the plan to get there. And my personal experience is that I find most people who get there sometimes get there by accident. And what I mean 
the path of success is not by accident, but their discovery sometimes is by accident. Like they yes. just do something, they come across it and said, hey, why not me? Right. And, and then let's do it. And then obviously you got to learn and grow and whatever. But what was the scariest part? Like getting into that, having that store, how, like, like you had to differentiate yourself. So how did you differentiate yourself? And did you have any fear, you know, in terms of uh, competing with the uh, big brands? Yeah, of course. So what differentiated us was our pricing, but not just the pricing of the items, also the size of the products that we were selling. So for me, I always love to give the value that goes with the amount that you're investing. It doesn't matter if it's a dollar or if it's a thousand dollars that you invest. There has to be value. I wanted my customers to walk in and go, no way. Am I getting this for only a dollar? You know, that kind of idea. And when we, we searched for suppliers, it was hard for our suppliers to understand our business concept because they kept saying, you're not going to make a lot of profit. But they didn't understand that we are going to attract thousands of people every day. And even when we spoke to the coffee roasters in the beginning who had to train all the baristas, even they were saying like, no, you don't sell a thousand cups of coffee every day. You would sell like maybe 300. And I was like, no, 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 we're going to sell a thousand. And people were really in disbelief. So what made us different was that, which was the, the whole idea of what we were born from. But the fear that I had was literally the day before we opened because I was convinced that people wouldn't show up because we were so cheap. So I had the reverse problem where most people will say, oh, no, I'm not going to come or people won't come because we won't be too expensive. I had the opposite. And in fact, John, we actually had to work that into our marketing because people did not want to come because they thought, oh my goodness, what if something's wrong with the products because it's so cheap? And what happened was um, someone that came to the office, um, to the coffee shop, just like you said, like by accident, things happen. And they were in marketing and they had connections with a TV channel. And they called them and said, like, I'm standing in this coffee shop. It's absolutely amazing. Everything's so low ticket. You guys should come around. So about a week later, they did come and that gave us a lot of true exposure people didn't flood to the coffee shop at all but the idea was people could see that it's real and that is why today when i coach my clients i always say to them you have to bring the real element live elements into your marketing because people have this thing if it's online that we can't believe what we see like there must be something dodgy something's hiding something's fake but if you bring the real live element in and you're like going live in your restaurant or you're going live in your yoga studio and you're talking to your customers you're bringing the realness back in and that builds trust so so good with your clients i mean we had people then driving from all over the city to come and first see, like, are we real? And then to actually try the products. And from there, it has always just been a massive success. Which makes sense. And again, it goes back to authenticity, right? And yes. we're using the best tool in the world to market ourselves these days, which is the internet, right? It's like yeah. long gone are the days where, you know, we need all these print ads. And I'm not saying print oh, ads yeah. are bad, but it's expensive. Like what ends up happening, is, let, let's be honest, when you go online, you have the potential to, say, to spend the same $1,000 as you would in print. But in print, yeah. for $1,000, you're going to get maybe 1,500 people that'll see your uh, product. And out of that 1,500 people, we know that maybe at best, it's going to be 150 of them that are actually going to look at it. The rest of it ends up yeah. in the garbage. And that's at yeah. best. Yeah. Where online for the same $1,000, you're going to come across 20,000, 30,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. The exposure yeah. is so much better. And also before online, and that's when we started our first business from our garage, John, like we did that. That was email marketing. It was printing posters. It was, and it was slow. 
That was the thing. And there, though, I have to be honest, there the personal face-to-face -face made the huge difference. Once you would actually meet someone, you would actually sell your product to their face or tell them your story. That's when the true relationship was built, which I still believe needs to be added into any branding today. Part of your marketing has to be your face-to-face -face, real live element. Um, but yeah, today it can be so much quicker. It can be so much easier to reach thousands more people to tell them about your story than it was 14 years ago. Yeah, for sure. And again, back then, even metrics were different. Like people looked mm -hmm. at things differently. They uh, valued different things things you know what i mean like like look even the way we marketed like when i have my marketing business in 2000 we'll say around the, i thought i sold it in 2007 so it's prior to 2007 and before okay. you know your message was buy 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 sell 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 and uh everything's on sale and when it's on sale you have floods around the building of people waiting to get in because they were going to save five percent or ten percent or twenty percent yeah. or whatever percent it was and that's all it was. There was no loyalty, you know, there's no rhyme or reason other than mm -hmm. the fact that there was a sale. People will buy things even if they didn't need it just because it was a sale, yeah. right? So, and that's the way it operated back then. But I think today's generation is a lot more educated. And with that being said, just saying sale, sale, sale isn't enough to convince yeah. them to want to come. Mm -hmm. So now they want to know, they're looking for experiences. And how yeah. are you going to get an experience from a poster? How are you going to get an experience from a message of even someone going on camera saying bye, bye, bye? There's no message there. There's no experience. Mm -hmm. People want to know, what am I going to get when I come in? And, and I mean, obviously, the ultimate product, if you're a coffee shop, what are you going to get is a coffee. But yes. it's the story that's going to explain mm -hmm. why the coffee at your place is so much better than going to where they're going today. Mm -hmm. And we're in the story ages where people want to talk, they want to converse, they want to experience things, they want to feel like they belong, right? And so it's beyond that. And again, yeah. you're always either growing or dying. And, and, mm -hmm. and it was the same thing, our marketing, our storytelling, our experiences are all the same in the way that you have to constantly be growing, you have to be always providing more value. Yes. So absolutely love that story. Loved how you got there. Now, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, like, I, I to be honest, <laughs> I, I when I had my marketing business, I tried to get into a retail version of it, and I tried to do the expansion thing, and I got overwhelmed. I'm not mm -hmm. saying I wasn't able to do it, but I mean, it was a, a it was a real uh, you know mind challenge for me. It is, I think. And also, even when you have at the moment, if you've got that salon or that studio or whatever business that you have, even accountants, you know, lawyers, all of them have one location for them to grasp the concept like, oh, I have to be in two or three places at the same time. How am I going to do it? My schedule's already so full. You know, it doesn't mean I need to hire more people. And they all we all do this naturally, but we look at more of the negative aspect out of it, where for me, I've always been a person that looks at things and go, well, obviously we can do that. We just need to figure out how. Like the how is the small thing for me. I just first want to believe in it. I first want to see the potential into it. And when I look at bigger you know, brand names, I'm always saying, well, they didn't start like that. We all know like even McDonald's, like they all started with one location, something small, and they grew and they learned and they made mistakes. And I think if you have that attitude about your business that I'm going to grow, I need to figure out the way I just need to learn from those around me, you know, whether you get a coach or a mentor or whether you just physically learn with your eyes, 
what other people are doing and go and copy that into your your religious beliefs in your business, then you can actually make that work. But I think people give up way too quickly because it's so overwhelming. And another thing that I've noticed, John, is if you're an entrepreneur and you don't have people to bounce off ideas with and brainstorm and get motivation from and be accountable, then you are kind of stuck because then you've only got yourself to talk to. And if you're not in a good mood today or your, your attitude's a bit negative or you're just feeling really alone, you'll so quickly give up because there is no one else to bounce you know ideas with or just to keep you motivated. And that's something that I've a big believer in like, I've got girlfriends who are accountability people. I've got my husband, I've got people that are on, in other businesses. So I've got different people doing different roles, but I truly believe this is one of the many ways in which you helps to get you to your destination just a lot quicker. Absolutely. I believe your network is your net worth. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily mean all the people you can extract money from. Sometimes, yeah, no. like you said, it's that sounding board Mm -hmm. that gives you that little energy and boost when things seem impossible to just keep on going. Yeah. And nothing ever is instant. There's too many people yeah. that take the word Instagram, which stands for instant gratification, and yes. think that's the way everything is. And I've heard, you know how many times I've heard, I've done it for 30 days and nobody's buying. And I was like, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, right. I, I even say that to my clients John I say if you had to go and spend a lot of money and open up a, like a little retail store whether it's a salon a boutique you've spent a lot of money and now the doors are open I'm very sure that after 30 days you're not just going to close up shop and say oh, okay I'm going to give up I'm going to lose all this money I'm just going to quit when we physically invest and there's like a, like in a retail space that is so much more of an investment but when you do that you have a bigger fight inside of you which means you, you tend to do things a little bit more harder, a little bit more dedicated to actually make it work. We're on the online space. Like you said, now when you go to Instagram and you're trying to sell it online or you do it on Facebook and you've tried it for 30 days and it doesn't work, we easily quit. We easily give up or leave, let that idea go where in fact, you need to treat it like a real business. You need to give it time for people to get to know you and actually trust you. The one thing I don't like about the online space, John, is that people, it takes people longer to trust you because they can't physically come to you. So unless they know, like I've got people on my online space that go to my physical stores and then they would connect with me quicker because now there's a personal thing. There's like this reality to it where if it's someone that's, let's say, in a different country who only sees me on YouTube or they you know, watch some of my trainings, it takes a while for them to really believe and connect with me because they can't physically touch and see me, which an online space is hard, but in a physical space, it's a lot harder. Oh, sorry, a lot easier. And that's why I think when it's an online business that you have, you have to start with it saying, I'm going to give this at least six months before I start judging anything I do because the journey is very different. You're right. And sometimes it's not even what you're doing that's wrong. You can be six months down the road and think, I did this wrong. I, I, this doesn't work. Nobody wants it. But the truth matter is you might have been just doing the wrong thing for six months. Yes. Or right, even so just talking to the wrong people for six months. I was telling this to a client yesterday. I was saying, you're selling your stuff to the wrong people. Your stuff is great. You're solving a massive problem. I said, but you're talking like if it's for women, you're talking to men at the moment. Why are you doing that? I said, so you're not even doing it wrong. It's the, 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 the audience that you're speaking to. And this is what a lot of people do wrong. You know, like you need to look at your product and say, who is this for? 
who's going to benefit the most. So I only talk to them. But in our, in our marketing, John, people are always like, no, no, I want to service the world. I want to tell the world about my product. Like every, I can help everybody. And you can't. Like logically, you cannot help everybody. So be specific. Say it's for moms who just had a baby that's younger than six weeks old. Like that's how specific you need to speak. And even if it's only girl babies, like be even more specific so that the people that listen to your things, that see the things that you sell will immediately like it or not like it. But they're not going to be an audience that's wondering about you. Um, and the thing I think that people don't understand about online marketing is that you are a drop in the ocean. So you want to make your ocean a pond. And that's why you need to make the group that you're sending this message to as small as possible so that they can all see it. Where if you're going to be a drop in the ocean, nobody's going to see your stuff. And that's why it's, it's, it's just a whole mind game that you have to realize about your business. And once people do start saying yes, you should stick more to those people and align your business more like that. Yeah, I agree with you there. It's uh, again, I usually can tell how a person's uh, business is going to turn out based on uh, just asking who are you targeting and when they say everyone yeah. then you're like all right let's have this conversation again in 90 days yeah. <laughs> um now some people get lucky but you know yeah. we don't go into business to be lucky because reality no. is that uh i think everything is intentional which is why mm -hmm. niche marketing works because you're intentionally seeking a certain audience yeah so which is awesome. And I like that because, you, you know, it sounds like you're like me and the way that you have the abundance type mentality. Oh, and I yeah. believe there's plenty of business out there if you really want it. Oh, yeah. I, I, John, I really, I do really believe that. I mean, if you, even if you just look at like car sales, like Ferrari doesn't care that someone else came out with a cheaper brand car, you know, like for them, they have their brand, they speak to their audience. It's, it's how it works. It's the same how a cheaper brand car would also say they have their audience. They don't want the Ferrari buyers to buy their car. So it's just to own your space a lot more and to be proud of that because there's literally a market for anything. Like, I think if you feel like, no, nobody will ever want to buy my thing, go Google it, go find other people that's selling the same thing you're doing. And then you'll see that there is a market for it. And there's markets for it in other countries as well, which is very important to understand because I think people sometimes limit them only to their city or their town or even their country. But if you have something that you can sell, whether it's a product or a service, you could be sharing this with people across the world. Um, and I think that's the whole abundance thing for me, that there is always an audience for you out there. You just have to find them. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with you on that. And, you know, it's, I mean, what can I say? I mean, like, it, like everything has been proven. I mean, you just got to look at the data. The data does not lie. Right. Um, now you went in, going back to the coffee shop, you mm -hmm. went up to what you said, 15 stores, right? Yeah. Well, we have 30, over 30 stores now, but I had five. Wow. And when we had five, that's when I wanted to grow more. But I realized I, I can't do this by myself. And I knew I could grow a team and that would be amazing. But I would still be the owner of all of these stores. And then I thought, OK, I have a choice here. I can either share my business with other people and through franchising, or I can just do it by myself. So I knew I could do both because I've already had the five stores, so having more, but I decided to make a choice for myself. I have three children. I wanted to become the visionary for my business, which means you need to step out so that other people can come in and help you grow. Um, but I had a lot of people in my audience ask me, 
if I've ever considered franchising it, how can I have a store like yours? And because we had these comments, which I know a lot of people get in the retail industry, um, I decided that I was going to build my own franchising model for my business, which means I didn't want to make it very corporate. I didn't want to make it like a process of, 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 you know, like almost signing your life away just to have a coffee shop. I wanted to use my business to attract people who have always dreamt of owning a coffee shop. I wanted to attract people where, you know, having a coffee shop is their like last dying wish for their life. And that's the type of people that we have literally attracted. So it took us about nine months to get our paperwork and everything in order that we wanted to mold our business in. And then we sold our very first franchise. But that was quite a scary experience for me, John, because it was the reality of, okay, now I'm giving my baby to someone else. And I'm hoping they're not going to screw it up. You know, like I, I didn't, I never worried about the, the legal aspects of things. I knew our contract was good. And I also knew that, you know, we can protect ourselves there. But I was more concerned about what would they do to my company's name? What if they don't respect it? Even though we picked a beautiful woman and I knew she was going to love the business, we do have these self-doubts that come up. But once she started running the business, within a month, we could see that this was her passion, like she was built to do a business like this. And then I realized I could find a hundred more women like this. And, and, and I think when you get that concept, you want to share it with more people. And then we did. Energetically, we started attracting a lot more people. Now we've just changed our model a bit that we don't want as many franchisees. We rather want less, but we want them to own more so that they can reinvest and own more. So, so most of our franchisees are either own two or three stores now. And yes, we are over 30. We actually just opened another store two days ago. So it is really, it's growing consistently. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and I do it with a team. And it's not just me, which is great. And now I get to impact people across the country. Like, John, we sell about 25,000 cups of coffee every single day through our 30 stores. Um, and that's just one of the items. We have about 40 items on our menu. And it is a business that really impacts lives. And the, what I get excited about is not when I sell a franchise. It's actually when we open the doors because then we get to employ more people. We get to get new customers that has never in their life, you know, been with our brand. And that's the type of things that I get excited about. Right. But there, see, that's following passion too. And yeah. finding how to make, you know, taking that passion and, and building it to something even bigger, but never letting go of the part that made you passionate about it. Yeah. Right. Now, here you are, franchise, 30 coffee shops. And now you open other businesses. Yes. <laughs> well. <laughs> I know. Everybody always says, why? Why another business? So I think, honestly, John, I was born to create businesses. And it's actually something that in the future, I do know for a fact that I will move into where I would partner with people and, break and build businesses with them instead of just having my own. Because for me, I I'm kind of probably a junkie when it comes to starting something, building it, making it work, and then I'm okay to leave. Because for me, the challenge is all about, could this work? How will we make it work? Is it even possible? Where The parts that usually would scare other people is the parts that really excite me. Because I really do believe the sky is the limit. I don't believe in boundaries. I believe that if you come up with a business idea today, we can make it work. We can make it work. We just need to figure out how. Like We just need to get to the what steps to take. Where are we going to get the stuff? How are we going to sell it? Those are just the smaller elements. But if you don't believe in your mind that you can actually do it, and you can't see that result like a year or two years down the line, then that's a bigger concern for me than to figure out, you know, which best supplier to use or what price to sell it at, which is usually the other way around for people. So when I speak to my clients and the first thing they say is, well, I don't have money 
to start this new idea, then I say, well, you don't need money because I believe you can sell something before you've even built it. And that's very interesting for a lot of people's concept to kind of think of how to add income streams to their business as well, which is another passion that I have, John, because my husband and I have built 11 income streams for our, for our family. And the reason we've done that is because we don't ever want to be dependent on one income stream, which I think COVID has made it very real for people to understand that you can't live life like that anymore. But that is because when we have a situation and we feel like the business is not growing in this way, we add something to it to create a new income stream to kind of help that business grow as well. Absolutely, for sure, right? Like, um, I agree with everything you said. You can't rely on one stream. Like, even these days when people get a job, you can't rely on one job either. It's okay to work for somebody. There's nothing wrong with that oh, being yeah. as your primary source of income. But you also have to think beyond that. Now, that doesn't mean get a second job. That doesn't mean you even have to open up a second business. No. You can do something simple of finding ways to invest your money into other things and watch yes. that grow. Yes. And, and that's important, have- John, that you've just said that. Like when, when you, you can get rich really easily, like money comes and goes. I have no attachment to money. But building wealth is completely something else. That is when you're allowing your money to make money for you. And that's like when you said, like when you invest in a property, you turn it into an Airbnb, let it run by itself. But it's something that's building for your future. And that was actually, John, one of the very first things my husband and I did is we bought a small apartment a year after we got married. And we only put a small down payment, like literally the littlest amount that we could possibly put down we did. And the rent was covering the mortgage. And then a year later, we bought another one and we really only put down the minimum requirements, but the rent keep kept you know paying the mortgage, which means now after 14 years, we have about over 12 properties, both commercial and residential, that is covering their own expenses. But when you speak to someone in the beginning about you know property investment, they go, oh, no, you need millions. I don't have money to buy stuff. But it's the misconception of things. And, if, and I think if you want to get into property, if you think, oh, my goodness, everybody talks about it. Go learn from someone that has done this, you know, like someone that you know or that you've heard of that owns 10 properties or even just two and it works for them. Go have a cup of coffee with them. Talk to them about it. How did you get started? How much did you put down? Because if you have knowledge, that leads to massive power. It's that I think it's when people lack the knowledge that they think they're not supposed to have this or it's not meant for them or, you know, all that other stuff that comes up where, in fact, you can just literally listen and, and learn from the people around you. Right. Well, this is where I'm going to contradict you a bit. Okay. Right after, you know, mic drop from what you just said. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I kind of agree with what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I don't think knowledge is enough because there's lots of knowledge out there. You mm-hmm. need to take that knowledge and put it into action. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. But I, what I meant what to say was like, if you don't know about the possibilities out there and your options, you won't be able to even move a step forward. So if you don't speak to someone that has what I have, for example, and I don't share with you, no, you don't need to pay for the apartment in full. You can get a small mortgage. Your rent will actually cover the mortgage. Like if you don't even know these things, you will for the rest of your life assume property investment is not meant for you. For example, like, and this is just one thing. It's the same like when we started our coffee shop. I mean, John, we had no experience going into retail with food and beverage, nothing. And in fact, we didn't even tell our family that we were going to open this coffee shop because we knew everybody was going to think we're crazy. 
Like we literally kept it a secret until a day before we opened the doors because I was just not in the mood to listen to people tell me that I'm not going to be successful at this because you've never sold anything that's food or beverage related. But what I knew I was good at was starting businesses and I knew I was good at marketing stuff. So for me, it didn't really matter what I was selling. I had the passion behind the idea. And if you love your business, if you love the product or the services that you sell, bringing that business to life should, is usually a lot easier for you than for someone that doesn't even enjoy what they do. So for me, that was the reverse. And I think even because we didn't know how to make coffee, we didn't know how to bake the pastries or anything, I taught myself. I went to the best baristas and got the education that I wanted. And I'm sharing that, John, so that people can understand that like, you don't always have to be the best at everything. You can have a passion for something and hire the best people to help you build your empire, which is what something that I'm very big on. Well, that's the thing, right? You, you just said it right there. You can hire what you don't know. Yeah. Right. And that's one of the things is learning delegation. Um, mm -hmm. I find that you can grow a lot better or bigger and faster and easier when you learn that people are not your competition. Yes. They don't have to be. You could get further by working with people than you can working on your own. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, you know what I mean? Like the, the minute you see that the people you thought were your competition can be your allies, you're, you've just changed the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Today, John, I would pay anybody to do anything for me. If they can do it faster or better than me, I really don't care. Like, I, I think they might have been like a half a day in my past where I might have gotten offended if someone said, oh, I can do that better. Today, I really don't care because I know what my superpower is. But if someone else can come into my business and add value and help me just grow it or even just made it, make it more fun and more easy, then I'm all there because I've already done the hustling and I know that that part's not fun. So if we today can have someone that you know just markets it better than you, it doesn't mean you suck at it. It just means that that person's really better and you should utilize that because the bigger scheme of things is your business and you want to impact more people. And that's the easiest way to do that. Yeah, see, I have a theory of this as well, right? Like one thing I learned when I got, when I became an agent, someone I'm, like one of the managers at my brokerage uh, in one of the orientations said this. Um, they said, you should spend less time trying to do stuff for yourself and uh, more time finding who the best person for that would be. And he goes, this is how you gauge it. Yeah. Take the amount of time you put into your work, mm -hmm. you know, start from your prospecting to when you find a client to when you uh, close the deal. And you take that amount of time, take your commission and divide it among, amongst those hours and figure out what your hourly rate is. And no two agents are gonna be the same because some people can turn things around in a week, some people need six months. And it doesn't really matter what it is, you gotta figure what your average is, then you mm -hmm. figure out what your average hourly rate is. Now, when you take it to a task and just say your hourly wage is for lack of better thing, $80 an hour, yeah. And the task you have in front of you can be done by someone that you're paying $20 an hour. In essence, you are losing money by doing oh, yeah. that task over sending it out to that person. Because mm -hmm. you can spend your time prospecting or, or, or working with your clients and at that $80 instead of, the, of that 20 Yeah. Yeah, it should. When you look at your numbers, it should be a no brainer. You should be realizing that if I hire all of this stuff out, it opens four hours of a day for me, for example. And in those four hours, I could make 
20 sales calls or I can do things that literally moves my business forward. I like to refer to it to my, my clients like your money making tasks. These are the things that you should do first in the morning. It should be your, your energetic part of your day. And it should be something that literally makes your business move forward and bring money into your business. But if it's anything like, for example, admin or even marketing that you don't enjoy, or it's something that you're just really not good at or even passionate about, it shouldn't even be considered that you should try to struggle through it. You should value the time, like you just said, and then just find someone to do it for you. Because, But the problem is, John, people don't see that until they actually work the numbers. Because if you can see hiring this person will free up this much time every day for you, which means now you can generate this much extra income, then only does the, you know, the penny kind of drop and it takes a while for you to kind of accept it. But the best results come from just taking action. And I think another thing, John, with hiring is people assume that it always has to be full time full-time people, or I have to pay the best rates or, you know, that type of thing, which is not true. You can have people come in for one day a week, one day a month, because usually if you get someone that's an expert in what they do, they do it 10 times faster than what we could do it anyway. But also you can have someone on a retainer. You can have someone come in and pay them on a commission basis. If it's a sales position, you can have someone come in for half a day in a whole month and still do the same thing that took you 20 hours. So I think it's just to look into the options again of what you can do to bring more people into your team. And once you see the value of that person, that's usually when it grows into a more regular position and a more full-time position as well. Absolutely. You said it well there. So now with all these transitions and all these different businesses, I mean, there's going to be moments in time when you have two different feelings. And when I'm going to touch upon the first one, which is what I call the aha moment. Yeah. Right. When you're doing things, you're past all these scarcity parts that you're going, oh, what did I do? And then you're doing it. And then all of a sudden you just you feel at ease. Like it's not that the tension went away. It's not that the stress isn't there. It's not that there isn't any problems, mm -hmm. but you're at ease and you start to feel, OK, whatever it is, I can handle it. I think I made it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, no, there's never any guarantees, but you have that moment where you feel that. And that's why I call it the aha, here I am. Yes. I'm where yes. I belong. What was that moment for you? For me in the coffee shop specifically, it was, I think, already in day three when we had literally like 80 people in a line standing outside the store. Everything's literally, it was like in a movie, John, when everything's slow motion around you. And I could see how my staff is running everywhere, like servicing clients. People are crazily happy, like with this, what we've built. But for me, I knew this was going to be fine. I couldn't see far into the future. I, my day was not going to get less than the hours I had to work, but I knew in my heart that something like this was going to work. And I also knew already because of my experience of other businesses, there is still a lot of stuff that's going to happen and it's going to be good and bad, but I was okay with that because I realized that I've got something here that's working. And I think sometimes even in a small business for any person, you just need that one or two sales to take place to give you that feeling like, okay, I'm onto something. This is going to work. We just now need to take it to the next step. And the next step just means like how to market a little bit better or how to get another two clients in tomorrow or how to be a bit more consistent or how can we do this faster or smoother or, you know, save more money. But I think sometimes we want to do the steps too quickly. And actually you should just literally take one step a day because at the end of the month, John, it's 30 steps. That's a hell of a lot of steps to grow your business and, and just be consistent in what you do. Right. That's exactly it. I love that. Now, have you ever had any moments? Because I'm going to ask you the opposite. Yeah. We have uh, something 
that felt, not necessarily was, but felt catastrophic. And you're going, oh, God, what have I done? Why am I doing yeah. this? Um, but you still continue to pursue it. Um, what was that experience and how did you handle it? Yeah. So in the coffee shop specifically, we had a moment where we realized that the staff was stealing a lot of money. Now, and again, John, I, I have so many stories I can talk about stuff. And But even when it's happened again and again in different stores, because now we have more stores, so there's more things that you need to manage, the brand still seems to always be successful. And that's why I honestly believe that I was, you know, energetically aligned. God gave me this vision of this business. There's a different purpose. I think my business hasn't actually reached its main purpose of why we are here and why I had to grow because the amount of money that people would steal is just like, people would ask us like, how is it possible that your doors are still open? And I, and honestly, I don't even know because it is literally like they should have been just like, except for stealing the fridge, they literally took everything. But in that moment, for me, it felt like, why did I do this if this is how people thanked me for it? That's how I saw it. So I took it really personal. It was a very emotional problem for me. It still is. Like when I hear that another staff member was caught stealing, for me, it's like, oh, really? Like, I don't even care about the money. I don't care about what happened. For me, it's more like I feel sad for the person that's done that. And I feel personally attacked because they've not come into my space and they've done this because I'm trying to give people an opportunity to enrich themselves. So one thing that we also do different in our business, John, compared to other coffee shops is when here locally, if you're a barista, that's what you do in the coffee shop. That's your main position. But in my firm, we make you fully trained in all positions that we have available. So from being the chef to being the barista, to working the line, to working the till from like everything, being an assistant manager, we train you in all of it because I want you to leave me one day and go and be better off somewhere else. That's the whole concept of it, which with, uh, other coffee owners would say to me, like, why would you do that? Like you're actually making them better so that they can possibly leave. And I said, well, if they feel like they need to leave, they need to leave because then energetically we're not on the same path, but my staff stay because they know I invest in them. So I think when when I when they do steal from me, I get very personally involved in it and it hurts. And there are moments even today when I go, wow, why did we grow like this? Or should we stop or what? But I think it's just moments of weakness. It's moments of feeling. And I think that's nice about the fact that I still have feelings and I'm still authentic about the business and I still personally are connected. I think when you don't have any feeling connected to things that happen in your business, that's a bit of a dangerous space to be in because then bigger things can happen and then you maybe not you know aligned as much. But yeah, that's my moment of, oh dear, <laughs> what have we done? Yeah, that makes sense. And here's the thing. You brought up something here, right? Like, And then that's something that people, that it seems you've realized that at the get-go is that when they steal, it isn't about you. It is, you know, it means they have something else going wrong inside yes. them. And this is how they're lashing out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of like even like the online trolls, as people call them. Oh, yeah. When they're attacking you, they're not attacking you. This is how they feel about themselves. And they're projecting it on you. You just happen to be the byproduct of that projection. Yeah. So yeah. And, and we even had that as well when people would like, um, you know, give us a bad rating or they would complain about something. And I'm luckily a person that I can take any complaints. I, I love to listen because I know that there's another reason behind the complaint, but I also know that there's some truth in the complaint. So I try to always teach my staff to feel both ways out, but we do have a silent rule kind of in our business that. The, the respect from the customer has to always be there as well. So we always need to respect them, but also the other way back. So I don't allow customers to yell and scream at my staff. I don't allow them to throw things, which we've had. You know, like it's very odd how people react, like you say, John, when they've got issues going on. But I think if we always have a space where 
people just want to be heard. And we've had so many opportunities where people would start the conversation on the phone literally screaming because their coffee didn't taste nice. Like it's so sad how angry people can get about things. But at the end of the five minutes, when you've allowed them to literally just go through their emotional journey, the conversation usually ends, well, you'll know, well, tomorrow when I come back, you know, please, please, please be nice to me. And then it just ends up a lot different than what you thought the conversation would end up. And it's really just people just want to be heard. And I think that's something that as a business owner, you need to learn to have some space and patience for as well. For sure. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, now, you have 30 locations. Is it all in the same place? Like, I mean, I don't yeah. mean the same street. I mean the same. No, it's it, they're all spread over three provinces, three states that we have here. So um, they're about, a, some of them are about an hour and a half flight away. And then some of them is about a two hour flight away. So in my area specifically, we have 12 locations here. And then in the bigger state, we have about 20, oh, no, sorry, like uh eight and then the other one we have the rest so we're growing you know nicely across the country there's also spaces where we would like to have more but our one of our limiting um, issues at the moment is our suppliers so we grow as we need to we probably would have had a hundred stores by now if we had more supplier options but that is also why john we're starting a separate business <laughs> again um, and that will be a business that actually helps to supply our coffee shops because we can't find reliable suppliers so and my husband and i have always been that um, kind of entrepreneurs that if we can't find something, we build it ourselves. And that's why we have seven businesses today, because if we receive bad service from someone or we just feel like we should be treated better and that doesn't matter where it's from, then we just start a business ourselves. And that's why we have what we have today. That makes Some sense. people would say we're crazy. I mean, you don't have to start a business just because you, you got bad service at the gas station. But I'm just saying like there is sometimes opportunities in your um, niche that you're in. And um, you can create a business with a friend. You can start something on the side that first services your own business, but then can also service other people at the same time. Makes total sense. I get that. So, mm -hmm. you know, there you go. Any supplier listening, if you don't want to provide the service, don't worry. She'll become your competition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the problem. That's, I think that's what people like. Someone would also maybe think like, oh, no, I don't want to do something. I don't want to be a competition for someone else. But I don't see things as competition, John. It's like you were saying before, like there is an abundance of everything for everyone. And the things exactly. that I'm going to create and offer might not even attract other people. So I don't see that as a problem at all. No, I get it. I agree with you. But um, yeah, I, I get that. So I, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. No, I mean, maybe not as aggressive, um, but I, got, I get the concept. Like I've created my second business. Um, it's not what I thought it was gonna it was gonna be. I was gonna go one one direction, and I actually ended up pivoting to a different direction. Ah. Like I, I'm a realtor, as you know that. But I was going to get into coaching, right? Yeah. And it was one of those things that I wanted to coach realtors. I wanted to do that, but I kind of gave it a trial, and then I thought, you know what? I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Maybe as I build my real estate team, I'll coach my team. But I don't know if I want to go beyond coaching my team. Mm. So I thought, what do I want to do? What am, what is sparking my fire? And investing has always sparked my fire and in my interest. So I actually mm. started my investment firm or building it now, to be honest. Um, so yeah. So I called it after myself, Papaloni Capital Investments. So, I like it. It's really good. And you know what, John, what I love is because you followed your passion which is so important. And even though people, when we hear it, we say, oh, follow your passion and start a business. It really is. It's, it means that you'll wake up 
wanting to go and do this thing. If you want to burn the midnight oil tonight and just brainstorm ideas, you're going to do it with so much more energy than if you're doing something, you know, I don't really know if I want to be doing this. The energetics is so different. And that's why whenever we start a business as well, one of us, at least me or my husband, has to be completely in love with the concept because you need someone that's going to drive it. There has to be that energy behind it. So I think for you to do this, that's, you know, that's your passion. I think that's going to be, that's exactly why it's going to work. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, as a realtor, I show homes to anybody. I can help people, anyone who wants to help, whether they're looking for residential to move in or whatever, right? But I yeah. find that I relate more to people who want to look at real estate as an investment. You yes. know what I mean? Like, not as much as uh, I'm just buying a home, right? Yes. Like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with buying a home and I can help people like that. Mm -hmm. But I find when I go and I'm showing houses and somebody turns around and says, oh, it's not granite. It is whatever. And I'm thinking you can just change it. Like, what's the big deal? Right? Exactly. So I don't relate to that, but mm -hmm. I'm not the buyer. And what ends up popping is the person who is, um, who is, uh, you know, what do you call it again? The person who's there looking and this is their home. And when it's their home, they're taking something that should not be emotional and yes. making it emotional. Yes. And that's okay because that's what works for them. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things that sometimes I don't relate to that. And I'm like sitting there going, okay, well, it's a piece of rock. You know, it's all good. <laughs> you can put it in. You know what I mean? Like, but I, know. I do relate to investors out there. Yeah. And then when we're talking cap rates and return on investments, mm -hmm. whole different uh, conversation. So I thought yeah. that's the one that sparks my attention. Mm -hmm. And that's where I tend to focus. It doesn't, again, going back, it doesn't mean I don't service people looking for family homes. Yes. But my focus is on the investment side. Yeah. And my reasoning is because I look at that, those numbers. And so why capital only capital investments? Why did I do this? Why is it a passion? Again, we just said the investment side is what sparks my interest. Mm -hmm. Now, what, what's my goal? I'm looking to help people who have given up on the market and are just looking at it and saying it's out of my reach. Maybe mm -hmm. it's out of your reach as an individual buyer, mm -hmm. but it may not be out of your reach as an investment. So why yes. not? You can take your money. If you got 50 to a hundred thousand dollars that you, to, that you're ready to put towards a real estate investment, you can invest it into my company. We have our contracts. It comes into my, uh, my company. I am the one who invests in rental units i'll buy different units and you can get a piece of that investment through my company and therefore you're still in the market you're still appreciating with the market yeah. without having the stress of worrying about renters without having the stress of managing the property or worrying about roof leaks or yeah. um or even having to worry about getting approvals yes so it's a way to enter the market while you're trying to figure other things out Versus yeah. leaving money in the bank, which I say cash is trash, right? Yeah, that's very yeah. true. Yeah, and I think what you've done is great because I think a lot of people want to get into the market, but they don't have someone to guide them. They don't know what to do first. They don't even have maybe enough, according to themselves, to really get into the right market. And I think when they do something like this with you, um, they can learn from you. And I think that's just amazing because the future has so many opportunities and, and again, like when you mentioned like the tenants and the you know, pipe, the burst, the pipe, or, you know, small, these small things, it's a big thing for a lot of people. That's one reason why they would maybe never invest. But if they got an opportunity like this with you, it changes the whole ballgame for them. Exactly. 
And that's exactly what I think as well. Yeah. So with that being said, you're, what country are you in now? So everyone knows where we're... I'm in Cape Town in South Africa. Right. And then, you, like I said, you're obviously expanding. How, what is your expansion plans with the coffee shop? Like, do you plan to leave like, and get into other countries? or Maybe in the future, but for now, we want to get to 125 stores. And so our plan is to open at least another 100 over the next two to three years. And our strategy is then to also, on the side, open two more businesses. So the business that we're opening this month is our roasting business because we buy so much coffee from other roasters that now it just makes logic sense that we need to create our own roasting business. And this is something I actually teach my clients, that if you constantly buy or purchase a specific service or a specific product to run your business, at the end of the day, it's something to consider starting as a separate business for yourself to first service your own company, but then to also sell it off to other people. So that's why we were going to start the roasting business. And then we're opening a hub. And this hub will then be replacing all of my suppliers. But at least I get to be the chef. I get to change the menu. I get to pre-design stuff. I get to really play around and create new menu for my coffee shops. And then we will supply all of our own chains. But in the future, probably about a year after we've opened the hub, we also want to supply any other restaurants, coffee shop small business that wants to have daily um, food delivered to them as well. Fantastic. Now, and um, to not take up too much of your time, because honestly, I, we can ramble on forever all day. I can be here all day. It's <laughs> easy conversation. But um, just want to be uh, mindful of the time. I wanted to ask you maybe a couple more questions sure. and get into what I call the uh, lightning round, which is just some fun, informative Ooh. things. So the second last question is going to be, mm-hmm. what advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs who are thinking about making the leap, but for whatever reason are hesitant or scared and not sure what to do? Is that, John, do you mean like for them to start a business or is it just to grow the business they have? Start. We're talking about someone who's working the nine to five. They're miserable. They don't really want to be there. They're not sure if they should leave their job or not. Yeah. But they want to start something, but they're scared uh, to start and they don't know what to do to begin. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So personally, what I would suggest, let's say you are in a nine to five and your dream, I'll use my coffee shop as an experience, as example. If you want to start a coffee shop by yourself, go and do your research. Spend your time, your evenings, your weekends on planning out what this business look like. In order for a business to be successful, I believe that you have to have a very clear vision of what this looks like. Because if you can't believe in something and actually see it, you can't bring it to life. And as the owner of the business, you are the creator. The business cannot grow by itself. You have to be the one that you know gets the engine going in the beginning. But what you would need to do is like what I did. I went to almost 90 coffee shops over a year's period of time. I spent time in them. I looked at the things. I wrote down why I wouldn't do this way, why I would do these things. Things. I looked at the menus. I, I built a concept in my mind. And every time a negative thought would come up, like, oh my goodness, how are you going to do this? You don't even know how to roast coffee. I would literally, John, just move it to the side because my concentration in that space was not how to do it. It was just, what am I going to do? And once you create this beautiful picture that you honestly are in love with, and this is what you believe you are meant to be on this planet for and bring this business to life, then you need to start learning from people that have already done it. Now, you can do it the way that I did, you know, hustle by yourself, figuring it out by yourself. But if I were you, I would go and find someone, take them out for a cup of coffee that has already done what you want to do. I cannot even tell you, John, how many cups of coffee I've had with people, not just who owns coffee shops, 
but people who have massive bakeries, people that have restaurants, people that have a hotel, because I wanted to understand what did they struggle with in the beginning? What did they do to move faster? How did they market themselves in the beginning? And I think people overlook this because we don't want to ask people for help or we're too shy to share our idea because we think someone's going to steal it. The whole concept here is for you to take your idea, put it into action, create it as a vision, and then go and see people so that you can get as much knowledge as you can. And then, John, like you also said earlier, map out and take action. It literally starts with small things. Now, I'm not saying have your nine to five and then build the coffee shop at the same time. What I am saying is take action in the physical things like where will you be getting your stuff from? Do your research about how much will it actually cost you to open this coffee shop? A lot of times, John, when I work with my clients for the first time and I ask them, okay, so how much is it going to cost you to build a second location? They don't even know. They haven't even spent the time to work out the actual numbers. So for years, they've been telling themselves, no, no, I can't do this because it's going to cost me too much. But they've never even worked out the actual amount. So before you start a business, you need to know how much is the table, the chairs, the coffee machine, the, the uniforms, how much is everything going to cost you so that you have a, a figure to work with. And then you can ask yourself, like, do I have the savings? Do I need to borrow? Do I need to go in business with a friend? Do I want to partner with someone? Should it, is it easier for me to maybe buy a franchise? Like, then you have options, but you first have to start with a vision, then plan it out, do your numbers, and then from there see which you know alley is kind of the best way for you to go down. Right, absolutely. Now, last question, but the best question. How do people find you online? Good question. I'm Nicolene Alfredad on all platforms. So I'm Instagram. I'm Nicolene Alfredad Coaching. You can come into Facebook. I also have a private Facebook group where I teach every day about how to grow your small business. It's the, the, the Business Growth Club. Um, and I'm Nicolene Alfredad on Facebook. That's where I am. I also have a YouTube channel. I'm on TikTok. Everything's the same with my name. But I'm a very person-to-person -person, um, kind of coach. I like to speak to people. I like to brainstorm ideas for them. So if they ever have a suggestion or an idea and they don't know if they're crazy or not, I'm always open to just bounce off things and just give you some guidance. Because I noticed, John, that a lot of people think way too small for themselves. I do believe that the sky is the limit for every single business because there's an audience out there for you. You just need someone to go through your ideas with you that actually believes in you and in your concept. And that's what I'm really good at. Absolutely. My philosophy, go big or go bigger. Yes, I love that. <laughs> so with that being said, let's get into the lightning round, the little fun round. And I'm going to start asking you with... I'm a bit nervous, John. I don't know. Uh -oh. I'm a bit nervous here. Like, I don't... <laughs> I'm That's hilarious. It's awesome. No, it's going to be so much fun. Like, I mean, we're going to start it off by getting into coffee. What mm. is your favorite coffee? A latte. Ah, me too. Latte, actually, no form to splendors. <laughs> uh, yeah, and actually, John, the latte, the espresso has to be on the side because I like to mix it myself. I don't drink very strong coffee. So I put my one sugar in first and then I add the coffee in slowly until the taste is perfect. <laughs> Interesting. That, that's a, Well, I mean, you have the coffee shop, so you're kind of experienced in that. Yeah, exactly. I must say now my baristas know exactly how I drink it, so they'll pre-mix it for me, right? But even if I go out, like we did this morning, we had a team meeting somewhere else. And that's always how I order it. Please just bring the espresso on the side. Awesome. Um, now, favorite food? Oh, Chinese. Oh, interesting. Yep. Yeah, interesting. Um, any particular reason or is it just something that just jives? I love noodles. So I probably should say pasta in general. But if it's any pasta, I prefer Chinese noodles, um, you know, like spring rolls, all of that. I've been to Thailand and China 
a few times. So I love that culture as well. I love the people. They're just absolutely beautiful. But the food is amazing. And it's also a takeaway, John, that you can get in all countries, <laughs> which means it really works well if I travel because I, I've been to Australia. I mean, I've been everywhere in the world, but always Chinese is like a safe place for me to go. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, since you've been everywhere, the next question is going to be, what is your favorite vacation spot? Oh, Bermuda. Ooh. I haven't yeah. been, but I've heard so many good things. Oh, it's gorgeous. So, John, I've been blessed. I've been to probably over 52 countries in the world. I've been to the most beautiful places. I used to travel a lot when Mahavi and I just met. Um, but Bermuda is a hidden gem. I wish it was someplace that people, you, you have to go there before you can go somewhere else um, because they literally have pink sands. The, the, the sand on the beaches is, is shells that have been broken up through the years. So it's, it has a pink glimmer to it. And the whole island is built on these small little coves of rock and it's hidden so you can drive and stop somewhere and have your own private beach because there are so many of them and no one else will be with you on the beach and the people the culture the food everything is just so beautiful and it's so exclusively hidden somewhere so that's one of the places that we've been to a few times oh wow good to know now favorite podcast Ooh, that one's hard there's a few um i love dave ramsey and yes. which is funny because I'm not from the States, although I used to stay in Connecticut and in New York. Um, but Dave, I love how he's no BS kind of motto when it comes to money. And I think that's something I learned from him a few years ago was that if you have debt, you need to make the plan, do the plan, take action on the plan to get rid of that debt. And that's why today we don't have any debt. Me and my husband, we won't even buy a couch for our house unless we pay for it cash. And I try to get all my friends to have that kind of philosophy as well, because it's hard to get rid of debt once you have it. Um, but yeah, that is one. I think Marie Forleo is also nice. I have a few gospel ones that I listen to for motivation. Um, but yeah, that's generally it. That's fantastic. I mean, I uh, I struggle with the whole, uh, like Dave Ramsey to me is, a, is an inspiration. But I also struggle with it because I also follow Grant Cardone. And oh yeah, <laughs> which is Polar opposite. <laughs> yeah, I think it depends, John, on, on the attitude or the mode, the kind of the mood you're in for the day. And if you need a, a kick up the butt, then I think, you know, <laughs> Gordon is your guy. And if you're like a little bit more like, okay, let's talk numbers, then I think Dave's more the guy. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the thing, right? And also, the, but there's one common element that both of them have, mm -hmm. which they kind of agree on. They just take different outlooks after that, which is that yeah. consumer debt in any shape or form is bad. You don't borrow for a damn car. You know? Yes. yes. <laughs> you know I mean? And you know, I, you know, I mean, even student loans, I think that is the dumbest thing we have. And that's not something that anybody should be getting or any, anybody should be giving those loans. Yeah. Because you know what? I think, not that I'm against school, but I think it's overrated. And I don't think it's worth starting your life off with a fifty to a hundred thousand dollar loan, and working, you know, negatively, when you could have, to be honest, let's be honest, you could have summer jobs, work, yes. save your money, or even work a year before going to school and have that money put away. Oh yes, yeah. You know no, I, mean? I fully agree with you, John. Because if you're starting your adult life with that much debt. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's a, a cloud that's over you forever. Like, even if you want to go on holiday, you feel guilty that I'm going on this holiday because I've got all this debt that you still have to pay off as well. So I think it also leads back to where 
parents need to be educated on how to save up properly for their children. But also when children are at the age where they could have summer jobs or work on the weekend, they should start contributing to their future as well. So I think it's a lot of educational things here that has to happen in the home and talk about money should be something that people should do around the dinner table more often because money is a real thing and you need to know how to handle it, how to save it, how to make it grow. And I think those are the conversations family have to have more. Absolutely. And the final question, but a good question. Favorite book? Ooh. Oh, my goodness. I've read it. Oh, no, you can't ask me a favorite. I, I loved Michelle Obama's book just because it gave me behind the scenes of a woman that's just amazing. But also, again, it's funny that I'm mentioning Marie Folio, but her book, Everything's Figure Outable, for yes. me is something that I knew. And yet you can read it. And it was a book I literally read in two days and I don't even like reading, but the book made it that no BS kind of concept for you to understand. Like you will find a way, you just want to have to find a way. And I think if we don't want to do things, we won't be able to figure it out. But if you really want it and nothing will stand in your way, you'll figure out a way to make it happen. Absolutely. Makes total sense. Yeah. Well, this has been phenomenal. I want to thank you for being on the show. I thank absolutely you, love this. Yeah, you are awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you like what you've seen and you want to see more episodes, click and subscribe on the link below.